We're glad to have all the youth here from, what have we got, Tennessee, North Carolina, um, Missouri. Am I missing anywhere else? But it's a joy to be gathered together. And um, are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Say amen. 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 I've been looking forward to this. It's I love um, singing when there's a bigger crowd of people and there's just more voices to make a louder, more joyful noise to to the Lord. So uh, let's all stand up and uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you once again for your unfailing love, Lord. God, the faithfulness. Um, Lord, even when we are unfaithful, you are still faithful. Lord, thank you for the solid rock of Jesus that we can cling to through life's hardships and struggles, Lord. God, that you don't change, Lord, and that your word is true. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Lord, I uh, believe that your spirit is at work this morning, and I pray that, that, God, you would just continue to work in the hearts of men, Lord, that you would draw souls to you, to know you, Lord Jesus, because... Lord, you are life, and Lord, without you, everything is darkness and chaos, Lord. The enemy tries to deceive us and tries to make us think that that we can survive on our own, Lord. As Brother Roy preached the other day that Satan comes with like a, a plank in the middle of an ocean and says, here, get on this, and we get on it, then he yanks it out, and we fall back in, and he does it over and over. God, set us free from that, and I pray that we would cling to the rock of Jesus this morning. It's you that, we're, Lord, we're here to worship you, God, and to praise you. And I pray that as we sing these songs, God, that, that Lord, we would just be joined in unity and in one accord and lift your name high. Thank you for each precious soul here this morning, Lord, and thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are, lifting our hands to you. Let's sing together. Here we are, lifting our hands to you. Here we are, giving you thanks for all you do. As we praise and worship your Oh, 
Father, that you are here. Lord, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, Lord Jesus. And God, we just worship you this morning. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted.
voices. Does anyone have a testimony this morning? It's open at any time. We Something that, uh, for those of you who are uh, don't know, we like to keep it open through the uh, praise and worship session that it's not just the songs that we sing, but the testimonies that we give um, that are encouraging and praise the Lord. So if anyone has anything to share, feel free. the Lord. You can be seated.
sing the hymn, My Faith has Found a Resting Place, and I love this song because, um, like we were reminded this past week, that the foundation of our faith is the Word of God, and then our faith, and our feelings go all over the place up there, but we don't go by feelings, we go by faith, which is founded on the Word of God, amen? So, has your faith found a resting place? I just want to ask that question for you guys this morning.
It's that simple, folks. He died, and he died for you. It's not our works. It's not our intellect. It's not our knowledge. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Uh, let's all stand, those who are able.
he's worthy. Let's praise him this morning. Here you can be seated, and I think Carrie's going to have some kids' songs for us. Okay, good morning. Hi. Hi. Everyone away from the post? All right, what song do you guys want to sing? You know, if you, if you pick the wrong song, I'm afraid you're going to get beat by this choir out here now. This thing's going to pop. Cast your burdens. You know what would be really interesting is if we make the church sing this song, but we'll refrain this morning. All right. You guys all know these songs? Why? You know all these songs, right? Okay. What's the key? Cast your burdens. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. 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 Lower, 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 Satan, lower, 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 lower. Satan lower, 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 Satan lower, 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 Satan lower, lower, burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Higher, higher, lift up Jesus, higher, higher. Jesus higher 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 lift up Jesus higher 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 lift up Jesus higher higher lower 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 Satan lower 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 higher higher lift up Jesus higher 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 Jesus higher 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 lift up Jesus higher 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 lift up Jesus higher higher Woo. you know have you ever heard of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego you never heard of them what were they 
Mm-hmm. They wouldn't bow down. Did you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all standing up here while you guys all hit the ground? <laughs> all right. Um, good job, though. So you guys, what do you think? Um, I've got the joy, 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 joy. You guys think you can outdo these? You think so? Really? Well, that's kind of nice. All right. All right, so we asked, um, well, we'll have you guys sing it first. I've got the joy, down opinion okay well we're gonna give you one more chance we're gonna give you one more chance to say where louder than them all right you ready I've got the peace that passes Good job. All right. Do you think you're ready to see some of these youth get wrapped up, tied up, tangled up? Okay, so all the youth stand up. Everybody below the age of, oh boy, we better go, hmm, 25? Uh, huh? No, then it'd just be, you'd have to sit down. 25 and under, stand up. All right. So we're going to have the... Well, this is kind of fun, actually. <laughs> All right. G again. G. All right. You guys got to show them how to do it. And then you guys can kind of grin at them. I don't care. I, I'm okay with that, all right? Because I pretty much bet they're going to get all a little wrapped up, tied up, all right? Wrapped up, tied up, 
Tangled up in Jesus, wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up in Jesus, wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up in Jesus, wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up, wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up, wrapped up, tied up. Tangled up in God. I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus. I'm inside, outside. Side to side in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus, I'm inside, outside, side to side, inside, outside, side to side, inside, outside, side to side in God. I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus, I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus. I'm upright, downright, living right, upright, downright, living right, upright, downright, living right in God. You think they all got it? All right, let's let's slow it down for we're gonna have to slow it down for something. Like Nevin, he was all over the place. Didn't you see Nevin? He was <laughs> Nevin was going upright when he was supposed to be going downright, and he was downright when he was supposed to be upright. It was just, it was confusing. All right, let's slow it down. I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus I'm inside, outside, side to side in Jesus I'm upright, downright, living right in Jesus I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up Inside, outside, side to side Upright, downright, living right in God. Woo! Well, was that enough fun? Okay. It was embarrassing. For you or for them? Were you embarrassed for them or for yourself? Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's the king of the jungle? Right? All right, so on who's the king of the jungle, all the guys go, ooh, ooh. And who's the king of the sea? Willy, willy, willy. All the girls could see, you could sing sitting down now. Thank you, guys. So you think the girls can all help you to say the willy, willy part? And all the guys, ooh, ooh. Right. Such, all right. Deer. What are you going, F? Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S. Yes, he's the king of me. He's the king of the universe. The jungle and the sea. 
Who's the king of the jungle? Who, who? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I tell you, J-E-S-U-S, yes. He's the king of me. He's the king of the universe, the jungle and the sea. Willy, willy, willy. Ooh, ooh. All right. All right. What's another one you guys want to... God's not dead. Mm-hmm. Can you sing to another song? Teach me another song? Maybe not this Sunday, because I don't want to be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. All right, God's not dead. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no. So feel him all over me. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. God's not dead, no, he is alive. I feel him in my hands, feel him in my feet, feel him in my heart, feel him in my soul. Feel him all over me. All right, one more. And you can torture them if you want. Huh? That's not torturable enough. They can, they all know it. No, we can do that one. You, huh? Which, which one? When he cometh, when he cometh, you take up his jewels. I know some of it. So, okay, go ahead. You teach it to us. We'll sing Building Up the Temple then. Okay? What key you are? When he cometh, when he cometh To take up his jewels All his jewels, precious jewels Remembered his own Like the stars of the morning his bright cloud adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright grand for his son. I don't know any more verses. Is that the only verse? Grand little children who love and us, all the jewels, precious jewels, his love and his own. Like the stars of the morning, his bright crowd adorning, they shall shine in their beauty, bright gems for his crown. You know, I always remember that song because I was probably about mm, six years old and I went to this little boy's funeral. You're six? So I was probably about your age and I remember singing that song. I remember singing that song at a funeral for this little boy. He was born special, and he couldn't never, you never could talk, 
And so what he would do, though, is he could, he could hold his breath and make all the alarms in, the, in his bedroom go off. So if he ever wanted any attention, he, he got, I think he grew up to about three or four years old. And then he would just hold his breath and everybody would come running and he'd just smile. <laughs> Boy, I wish I had one of those. You know. <laughs> All right. Building up the temple? All right. Building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Say, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the Lord. Building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Say, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the Lord. All right, good job. Thank you. You can go back. Good morning. Thank you, kids. You did a great job. Big kids, too. Thank, thank you for uh, embarrassing my daughter. <laughs> all right. Well, welcome to each one of you. I'm glad you're all here. And uh, we've had a great time these last few days with the young people here. And the Lord has been at work in our lives. And and uh, this is kind of concluding our uh, weekend with the youth, but uh, we're, we're glad that we have a whole house here this morning of youth and not-so-youth, I guess I might say. So I'm glad you're all here. For those watching online, we welcome you as well. Just for a few announcements, um, we don't take an offering here in the church. But if the Lord has blessed you and has asked you to give, you're welcome to do that. There's an offering box on the back wall there by the sound booth. And as usual, every Sunday, and especially Sundays like this, we uh, like to have our fellowship continue throughout uh, the afternoon. And so we have a lunch provided got plenty of food in the kitchen, so we would ask that you all feel free to join us in that lunch and continued time of fellowship. But before we have lunch and at the conclusion of our service, we have something special happening today. We're going to have a baptism, and that is exciting. And I'll uh, save the details for that till the end. Phil will be sharing uh, about that at the end of the service, and uh, after that we'll go outside and have the baptism and lunch following that. So for you uh, young people, this service or the close of this service kind of wraps up our uh, youth event, but activities will still be going on throughout the day. There will be a meal here this evening. You're probably going to get a lot of uh, leftovers of what we had throughout the week here, but there will be food here for you. And 
if you are staying the night yet and traveling tomorrow, uh, the lodging accommodations that you've had this week are good for tonight yet as well. For the local church and community, this Wednesday evening we have a Bible study here at the church at 7 o'clock, and all are welcome to that, adults, children alike, Bible study here Wednesday evening. Out in the foyer, we have uh, coffee and tea, and I think there's a few goodies out there that you can help yourselves to. Um, I don't think you need the coffee to stay awake. I believe our speaker is uh, going to be able to uh, do that quite well, but you're welcome to help yourselves to that. There's also some literature and materials on our table out there that you're welcome to help yourselves to as well. So, uh, once again, uh, Brother Roy Daniels from South Africa will be uh, speaking the word to us. Come on up here, Brother Roy, and we'll have a word of prayer, and I'll turn the time over to you. Father, once again, I thank you for bringing us to this place and for giving us this opportunity to come together and to worship you and to hear your word. I thank you for my brother Roy and the gift that you have given him of preaching your word and your salvation with clarity and with truth. And I pray that once again this morning you would anoint his lips and that the words that we hear would be your message and that it would convict us to grow, to grow closer to you and to have fully surrendered lives to you and to your purpose. So we commit this time to you and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, brother. Amen. Well, I hope you slept well, and if you didn't, I hope you sleep well tonight, unless you're unsaved, you need to get saved, you need to toss and turn on your bed until you get saved, um, but uh, I just like, you know that song that the children were singing, you go, joy, 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 joy in your heart, it's a beautiful song, and uh, one person once asked, I think it was in South Africa, he asked, uh, why did they sing that song? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. He said, because you can never see it on their faces. <laughs> it's just deep down there hidden somewhere. So they, they preach, they sing the truth, which is good. Now, I'd like to ask now, um, I'd like to ask a question. And the question is, are there any smokers here? Any smokers? Be honest. <laughs> I'd like to know if there's any smokers here. Put your hands up, please. I'd appreciate that. Um, nobody. You know, I was at a church once, and it was a charity church. Some of you might know what that is. And I sat there with all their nice head coverings and all their beautiful clothes. And one of the elders stood up and he said, I'm going to pray. He said, oh, God, bless the smokers. Bless the smokers. Help them. And I was sitting there next to my wife, and I said, what is wrong with this church? And eventually my wife explained to me that among the plain brethren in America, there's a last name called the smokers. And I really thought they were backslidden because they were praying for God to bless those smokers. <laughs> in case you wondered what I was talking about. Now, I've been in some churches. I asked, are there any smokers? And the pastor was like surprised when certain people put their hands up. <laughs> you should ask questions, brother. <laughs> okay, so um, let's open up our Bibles to Galatians 2 verse 20. 
Galatians 2 verse 20. And I'm going to touch the tip of the iceberg of a topic that is extremely important to God in the Bible and also to us as Christians um, in many different ways. And we're going to look at encouragement. We're going to look at suffering um, and when Christians suffer. And when it comes to this, before we read that verse, um, there are five, and I'm sure every single one of you will agree with me when I say that there are five different areas that you could look at when it comes to Christians suffering. And the first is, what is suffering? And under that you would say, who suffers and how do they suffer? What is suffering? The second of the five points that you could study as a church, as an individual, as a Christian, is why does God allow suffering? That's very important today. You have books by atheists in their millions sold across the world. Sometimes the whole book Sometimes one book is, is basically showing that God is cruel because of suffering. So why does God allow it? And the third thing is, how does God encourage us as Christians when we suffer? Uh, the fourth thing is, what does God teach us in and through suffering? And lastly, very importantly, is who is God to us when we suffer? Who is God as a person to us when we suffer? I don't know if you realize, but in the Old Testament and Samuel, we read of David. And David, uh, his own people that were following him while he fled away from Saul, had basically turned against him. They wanted to kill him when he was a zigzag. And, and he had no people to encourage him. And so we read in the Bible that he encouraged himself in the Lord. And a lot of Christians that I ask across the world, what does that mean? How did David encourage himself in the Lord? And they said, well, they, they encouraged themselves in the fact that God exists. <laughs> and maybe he's in control. And I said, if you really want to know, and I encourage you, I don't have time this morning, but I encourage you to go to the Bible and go to the Psalms and read there, taking note of when David was speaking. And you see there so many times when David felt he didn't know which way to turn. He would turn this way, that way. He felt like it was a desert within his soul. He felt overwhelmed. He felt like he did not have strength. And, and when he felt this due to circumstances, due to feelings, due to relationships, due to people, and he felt this way, then he would eventually turn to who God is. He wouldn't just turn to the fact that a higher being exists. He would turn to the fact of who that higher being was in that trouble. In, in Psalm 22, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And two verses later, he says, But, but thou art holy. He turned to who God was. Thou art merciful. Thou art creator. Thou art sovereign. Thou art the possessor of heaven and earth. We are at your mercy, dear Father. Thou art love, thou art eternal, infinite life, truth, which is reality. <laughs> thou art justice, which is equality. Thou art everywhere, thou seest all things, thou knowest all things. You know when I sin in the dark, but you also know, dear Father, when I struggle and no other person knows about it. God, you are gracious, you are pure, you are faithful, you are good. You're never changing. He would turn from life that discouraged him and he would turn to who God was and he would encourage himself in the Lord, not just in the fact that somebody existed that was bigger than him. Study it. It will change your life when you go through hard times. 
Now, due to the legality and pharisaical nature of the pastor here, um, I've only got a certain amount of time to preach. And so I'm only going to look at one, one of these topics. I wish I had time to take you through these different topics, but I'm just going to take you through one of them. Just the first one. What is suffering? And there's a lot of encouragement in this, and specifically under the, under the top, uh, under the, shall we say, the umbrella of who, who suffers and how they suffer. With that thought, let's go to prayer, and then we're going to look at this. Dear Father, I thank you so much. We're going to have some baptisms today if Jesus doesn't come first. We thank you so much for the Word of God, 66 books where you just shone. You shone the light of your Word. It's for our feet, dear Father. We don't have to fall into holes that Satan digs for us because we can see the path wherein we should go through Jesus Christ, but according to your word. And Father, I'd like to pray this morning that you who said, I am the God of all comfort, I, even I, am he that comforteth thee, that you, dear Father, would, would come to those that feel like they're in darkness and they can never get out, never see light, dear Father, that you would come to them and encourage them and lift them up and strengthen them as only God can through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Oh God, you've done it before. Will you not do it again? Amen. Now right off the bat, before we get to some illustrations and some other verses, I'd just like to say that there's a lot of error. I make mistakes. Other preachers make mistakes. Make mistakes. But there's a lot of error when it comes to preaching on suffering, encouragement, and these type of things. And I've sat under godly preachers who pray for hours a day, and they read their Bible for hours, and God has used them. And I sometimes they stagger me because they say something that's not the truth. Many churches in America, I've sat under a preacher, and he will have a whole lot of people there, and he'll quote this verse that we're going to read together, Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a beautiful verse. We cannot get strength to be dead to the world, but through the crucified Savior who rose again and can live through us. <laughs> we read it in Romans. We read it in Hebrews. We read it in Galatians. But we also hear from the mouths of, of preachers who pray a lot and read the Bible a lot. And I've heard this so many times that literally if you are crucified with Christ, there's a, there's a place that you can reach spiritually, where you read your Bible a lot, are filled with the Spirit, identify with Christ, where you become a dead body. <laughs> and then they'll ask this question, can a dead body hear when someone insults them? Can a dead body feel when someone kicks it? Uh, can a dead body feel anything? And so they'll say, well, when your child dies, or when someone insults you, or when they drag your name or your family's name through the mud, you're not going to even feel it, my friend, because you're crucified with Christ. Unless you're very strange, you've probably heard that before. <laughs> you're a dead body. Let me tell you, we're going to go on a little search party today. We're going to go and look for that dead body, and we're going to see if we can find it. There was a preacher in South Africa 40 years back, and I loved him, or Kenneth Bedwell. And uh, 
he said when he read Romans 12 verse 1, and he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He asked a simple question. He said, what's the difference between an Old Testament sacrifice and a New Testament sacrifice? The Old Testament one was dead before it was burnt. We are living sacrifices. We feel tired late at night when we have a quiet time. We weep when our children die. We groan when there's a family member, a cousin, a son, a brother that is following Satan. And it doesn't make us unspiritual. Satan coming. I've seen people in bondage for 20, 30 years where they feel wherever they feel even slightly down about anything in life, then they, they're not obeying the Bible and they basically are sinning and not filled with the Spirit and not crucified with Christ. You see, one of the biggest problems we have in the church and in cults is that people run away with verses like a runaway train. They'll take a verse out of context. The Catholics do this uh, when Jesus Christ said that this is my body. <laughs> when he talked about the bread that's broken. Uh, the Mormons do it when it comes to verses where it talks of ye are gods. When you go to the Old Testament, you see it's not gods. <laughs> it's rulers who are going to die as men and go to hell. That's the gods that Jesus was referring to. Not that you become God himself. Um, it's interesting it says in Luke 16, verse 21, and I, actually, let's read Psalm 37, verse 25. I'm going to give you an example of where people run away with the verse. I have been young, Psalm 37, verse 25, and am now old. This is one of two Psalms that is about old people. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. <laughs> if you just read that without looking at the rest of Scriptures... If you just read that without looking at the rest of scriptures, would you? Would you think that maybe righteous people, people that are right with God, would not, would not ever beg? And none of their children would ever beg? Well, in Luke chapter 16, verse 21, we read, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table... Moreover, the dogs came and lipped his soul. We read of Lazarus, who was righteous, and he went up to Abram's bosom, and he was right with God. But he begged, and he longed. He had unsatisfied desires while on earth, while he was righteous. Another verse that a lot of people run away with is Philippians 4, verse 4, in the New Testament. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And you know what I love about this verse? Paul was in prison when he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. He hadn't just received a million dollars from Donald Trump or something like that. He, he was in prison and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. But I've heard preachers say from the pulpit many times, If you're truly right with God, if you read your Bible for hours, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, then you will always just be rejoicing. You will not. You will have peace that passes all understanding. There will never be times when you feel down. And I like to remind them that the same Paul who in Philippians said, "Rejoice with them that rejoice." No, sorry, say rejoice in the Lord always. Says in Romans 12 verse 15. Listen to these words. Paul says, 
Weep with them that weep. Weep with them that weep. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 says. James 5 verse 13 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among him you merry? Let him sing psalms. You know, in Luke 6 verse 21, it says, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. This is not talking about weeping just over sin like the Sermon on the Mount was. Yeah, in the Sermon on the Plain, very clearly as we see in the context, Jesus was saying there's going to be times of weeping for Christians because of life. But one day it's all going to be made right when Jesus wipes away the tears. Now, I'd like to ask one question before we dive into the sermon. And this one question is simply this. If in Revelation, twice we read the words, as in Corinthians and taken from Isaiah, um, where death has lost its sting, it's talking about the day we should put on incorruption. It's talking about a day when Jesus wipes away our tears. It says that there'll be no more sorrow when we meet with Jesus there. He's going to wipe away our tears. Simple, twofold question. If, if there's no sorrows for us and we just rejoice in the Lord always, if we never feel sorrow, if we never weep, then why does he have to weep, wipe away the tears? If we as Christians are so spiritual that we never even feel sorrow, we're so filled with peace that passes understanding, we just rejoice in the Lord always in a sense that we don't even feel it with that dead body, then why on earth do sorrows cease if they never existed? Simple question. When I talk about encouragement, when we talk about encouragement, any of us, I've said this before, but it's not an encouragement to carry on sinning because Jesus died for you. You don't have an umbrella over your head called grace under which you say, God cannot see me. Therefore, I can lie. I can steal. I can commit adultery because Jesus died for me and I said a prayer. You see, grace is the power of God to set you free from sin, not an excuse to sin. That's what the Bible teaches. And I'd like us to look in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 32, verse 7 to 8. 2 Corinthians 32, verse 7 to 8. Yeah, we have a man called Hezekiah. His father was an ungodly man who brought gods from Damascus, filled the land with heathen gods, destroyed the temple, made it filthy, and even made the Levites very discouraged because he put evil people in their place. But Yeri's son Hezekiah, one of the godliest, two godliest kings since David, Hezekiah and Josiah later, Hezekiah, he, re, he, he destroyed the gods across the land. Not only that, he went to the temple and he repaired the doors. And after that, he cleansed the temple and he reinstated the daily sacrifice. And he reinstated the Passover, and it was wonderful. It's a bit like a church where people are watching movies where the Lord's name is in vain, and there's swear words, and there's women and men that are not properly dressed, and they're doing evil together, and they say they're Christians on Sunday, and then God starts to work in their lives, and they cling ship, and they repent, and they make right, and they forgive each other, and ask forgiveness for the bitterness towards other Christians, and, and they really seem to follow God. But what's amazing is that Satan does not like it. Satan does not like it when God's people make right with him. 
And so Satan sent his servant Sennacherib, king of Assyria, a prince of Assyria. And he came there with a big army, a massive army. And he started to take the little towns out. And then after taking the little towns out, Hezekiah realized he's going to come to Jerusalem with this massive army. And so he got the priests together, and he got the, he got the uh, princes together, and he asked their advice, and they stopped the spring and the brook, the springs and the brook that flowed through the midst of the land. They didn't want water for this army that was coming. They repaired the tower of Milo, and the inner and outer wall of Jerusalem, they rebuilt, and they prepared shields and darts in abundance. They prepared as best they could. And then Hezekiah, looking at his people, facing this massive circumstantial discouragement, the people of God who had made right with God, who had destroyed those um, uh, um, idols and the evil things in the land. And now Satan was coming to discourage them through circumstances as he will do in every Christian's life. And Hezekiah tried to encourage the people of God. He said these words, God sent his servant Hezekiah to say, uh, verse 7, be strong and courageous be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor all, for all the multitude that be with him. For there be more with us than be with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Now remember these words. Look how precious this is. This is absolutely amazing. And the people rested themselves in the words of Hezekiah, king of Israel. Isn't that beautiful? They said, oh, that's the truth. I'm going to be encouraged by that. I'm standing on these words. Do you think Satan keeps quiet when God encourages you? Mm-mm. Sennacherib came, and he spoke in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 11 14. Doth not Hezekiah persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine and thirst? The Lord our God shall deliver you. Uh, that uh, the Lord our God, saying, the Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Who was there among all the gods of the nations that my father destroyed, utterly destroyed, that could deliver those people out of mine hand, uh, 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 that your God should be able to deliver you out of mine hand? Now, I'd like to suggest something here today. Satan, Satan wants to tempt us to sin. I don't know, you all have experienced that. But when it comes to a person who, by God's grace, is seeking to, to be surrendered to God and to do the right thing according to His Word, when circumstantial discouragement comes into your life, there will be two voices. The one is the voice of Satan to discourage you, and the other voice will be the voice of God to encourage you through life, and, and you have to, as a Christian, learn to recognize the voice of God, which comes in different ways. There's four main different ways in which the uh, voice of God comes, totally different from each other, where God comes in different ways to encourage Christians, and you have to be able to recognize God's voice and rest in it. That's what God wants us to learn as Christians. Now, in South Africa... Years back, there was a guy, he was a drunkard. I know this guy very well. He's retired now, he's almost 90 years old. 
And this drunkard who used to get drunk all the time also liked to beat people up. And he had a gun and he shot somebody <laughs> because he didn't like him. He was a nice little sinner, but he got wonderfully saved. Jesus set him free. And he went to the same Bible college my dad went to and which I went to many years later. And there at the Bible college on Friday evening, the students stand and they give the students a chance to preach. And so he stood up for the first time to preach. He looked up. He looked down. He looked up. And he fainted. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> now that's funny. I, I hope it's funny. Else you don't have a sense of humor. But you can imagine, even though it was funny, the story, how much ammunition Satan would have with a person like that to discourage them. He felt he wasn't good to preach. He was pathetic in his abilities. And he came from a bad background. And exactly that happened. For a few years as he was at Bible college, all the way through, he felt like a failure. He would think, why am I here? All these guys are from good backgrounds. All these guys can speak well. They've got talents. And here I am, and I'm just a mess. I've got struggles. I've got things from the past that I'm struggling to get through. And he would think that I should give up. And eventually he came through Bible college, got his diploma, and he got his first time to preach in a church. And he stood there. And he preached, but he felt so down that while he preached, he basically just read his notes and waffled through it, stuttering. And while he was looking down, not looking up at the people in the crowd, something was saying to him, why are you here? You pathetic. You stupid. You unworthy. Get back to the secular world. And he decided while he was going through that sermon that he was going to listen to that voice and that he was going to get, <laughs> resign after that message and he was going to go back to the secular world. Well, at the end of that sermon, he said a little prayer and he said, Jesus, please bless this message in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And as he said, Amen. Now, this does not always happen. But as he said, Amen, he looked up and people everywhere were starting to cry. God had come in that church like he had not come before. They gathered into groups. They started confessing their sins to each other with transparency. They started, there was brokenness. There was forgiveness going on between the brothers all over. A brokenness they had not had in many, many, many years. And suddenly he realized, for years and years, I've been listening to the wrong voice. He went on to preach across our country for over 50 years. Souls were saved all over. He went to a prostitute in the street. Prostitutes were saved. They were cleansed. They, were, they became missionaries. He led drunkards to the Lord. Now I'd like to say, I don't want to be a Calvinist or non-Calvinist, but I'll say this. I wonder what would have happened if he had listened to that voice and that day had retired. Would those prostitutes be saved today? Would they be missionaries? I wonder. One of Satan's greatest weapons in true Christians' lives that are surrendered is discouragement. And there are many people that I've met who think that the godly do not need encouragement. You know, there's people who read their Bibles so much and pray so much and preach with such anointing, and God uses them. They, they don't need encouragement. 
There's a point of godliness where you don't need encouragement. I have a friend in South Africa. Um, he's very weak right now, but years back I used to preach in his church. And he had very strange people. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm starting to think America is becoming like South Africa because a lot of you are becoming strange. Very weird. But in the old days, uh, he was preaching and, and God used them, but he went to something like a, a, a grocery store, like a little section of Walmart, and he was pushing his cart down the aisles, down the lanes, and he was putting food, you know, like vegetables into it. And there was this woman from his church, and she was just staring at him from a distance. And her eyes were big, and she couldn't believe what she saw. And eventually she walked up to the pastor and she said, Pastor, Reverend, you eat? And she was not joking. She honestly believed that he so prayed, that he so read his Bible, that he was so filled with the Spirit, that he didn't have to eat. <laughs> now, I'm sure none of you are that dumb, I think. But I would like to say this. The godliest of the godly Preachers, men of God, they don't only need to eat, but there's times they desperately need encouragement. You know, my grandfather, I wish you could have met him. Oh, he was fun. <laughs> before, my, before my daddy met him, before my daddy married my mother, even met his father-in-law, this is my mother's father, someone sat him in the car and said, come I'm going to show you the godliest man in the entire South Africa. And that was before he went to the fires. Men considered him that in humility. And I remember, sorry, my grandfather, when I was a little boy, where all the different cousins from the different family, he would stick out his chest all the time. He would walk around like this, you know, like a big penguin. You rarely, if you, you knew it was him, if his chest was out. I just can't do it. He had this massive chest. He was a farmer. And he used to look at us little grandkids and he used to say, you know, if you want to get a wife one day, you're not going to get a wife like this. You're going to go like this, man. And, 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 and he, was, he practiced what he preached. He always had his chest out, always. And my cousins, they took him very seriously. I remember my cousins walking around. They wanted to get married, man, you know. And they would walk around like this. It was wonderful. My grandfather was a millionaire. He owned many farms. Um, had a lot of money, and this is many years back, and he used to, he used to um, give money to fix up and send his workers to fix up entire campgrounds and, and, and provide money that camps could be held and give mission, support missionaries all over. And how many of you know of Monsanto? It's a good thing, huh? No. <laughs> Monsanto is, I guess, evil. Anyway, he took some poison from Monsanto. He was not an organic uh, um, um, uh, farmer, and according to the instructions, he sprayed every second tree of over 100,000 of one of the types of trees that he had, and as he sprayed every second tree, every second tree died. And his finances started to go down, and eventually he lost most of those farms. And I will come to you in a moment what happened. What I absolutely love about my grandfather and my grandmother is they lived for souls, in the airport, if we were in a line, my grandfather was speaking to a soul. If, 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 if we were in a car and we stopped and we just saw someone, my grandfather would speak to a soul. But he didn't just speak to souls when it was an arranged thing or when you met up with somebody. He spoke to souls when he was dying. What I loved about my granny, she was exactly the same. 
She had spinal cancer, and they told her she would die. And I remember us weeping as she was in the Port Elizabeth Hospital, and, and she went into a semi-coma. And as she was in that semi-coma, the doctor said she's going to die. And she was just saying over and over again, it was her heart, Doctor, are you saved? Doctor, are you saved? Doctor, are you, are you saved? And the doctor said she would die. She had a vision while she was on her back in a semi-coma that she would, she would live and that she would walk again. She, she didn't die. The doctor was wrong. And then the doctor said she's never going to walk again. Six months later, she was walking. <laughs> I love my granny. My grandfather, uh, he had a quadruple bypass. He was in his bed and he was just witnessing to everybody around him. <laughs> they ripped out two-thirds of his stomach. Two days later, after the pain through the night, he got a few people together, I remember, and he was saying, can I tell you about Jesus? My grandfather had a stroke. He was preaching to 300 people. We had no uh, ambulance that could take him to the hospital. And so with the stroke, we got a taxi. And I remember him getting into the taxi. And while he'd had the stroke, he was telling the taxi driver and asking him, did he know Jesus? I love my grandfather. I remember a day when the banks phoned and they said, you're going to lose the farm. It was a crisis day. It's the end. You're losing everything. My grandfather, he, he, he rejoiced in the Lord always. He was always singing. There was someone who came to his house that didn't know what he was going through. And my grandfather was with a smile on his face. He was losing everything. He was telling that guy about Jesus. Oh, I love my grandfather. I wept for a few hours when I drove back there after he died because he wasn't there anymore. Now, there came a day, my grandfather always rejoiced, but there came a day when my grandfather, because of all the financial problems, they, he lost his car. He had no car. He had no electricity. He had candles. And he had no telephone because he had no money for that. He had to beg from farmers around there to get food. He once was rich, but he had nothing. And my granny, I used to visit him, and yes, he would praise the Lord and everything. But one day, and I remember sitting at the table, my granny was weeping. My granny was crying. And she said, why do the promises of God not come true? My grandfather started to weep, but something shocked me that day. For the first time in my life, I saw my grandfather's shoulders forward. And if any of you did that, I wouldn't be surprised. But with my grandfather, I was shocked. I'd never seen him with his shoulders forward. And he had tears rolling down his face. He didn't say anything, though. He took me by the hand. I was the only person in the house. He took my granny by the hand. And before you judge my granny, there was a godly man in Scripture, Psalm 77 verse 8, who asked the same question. Doth his promise fail forevermore? When is these promises going to come true? My grandfather took us by the hand, took us outside, and he said, let's pray. And as the tears rolled on his face, I will never, ever forget this in my entire life, ever. My grandfather stood there, and I thought he was going to pray, God, please save the farm, or save this, or help us, please, that we can have a car again, or electricity. And he just prayed. This is all he said. God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. As the tears rolled down his face, he thanked God for about five to ten minutes. 
for everything that he could possibly think of to thank God. And there I saw Psalm 77 verse 8, sorry, Psalm Hebrews 13 verse 5, these words in action, the sacrifice of praise. When you don't feel like it because of life, but through the tears you do it anyway because of who God is. A lot of people, we talk about what is what is suffering? Well, sometimes you can suffer because you have physical things or something happens. Or you can suffer emotionally. And sometimes you suffer because of someone else. They might have cancer and you love them. And as they're dying, I remember my grandfather dying of cancer. It wasn't so bad. I just cried. But when my granny died of cancer, she had throat cancer. And so for three weeks, she choked to death, not able to eat. She starved and choked to death. And for me, that was very hard. I suffered because she suffered. I really struggled with that. Godly woman. But when it comes to suffering, a lot of people are like my little child, Glenn. How many of you play with wooden blocks? Anybody? Hopefully all the adults still do that. At any rate, he would put one block, two block, three block, four block going up, and eventually the tower would be like this, and he'd put one more and it started to move. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> and he put one more and it moves a bit more. And then just one more, and doof, it falls down on the ground. <laughs> You know, a lot of people are like that, and, and other Christians don't understand them. They've had so many little things go wrong in life. It's not that their child died or that everything went wrong in life, but these little blocks have been piled up, and it's coming to the point where you can't take any more, and nobody understands it. And one little thing, and people look at you and say, but that's such a little thing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And they don't realize all that is piled up and that you can't take any more. I'd like to look in the Bible. I'd like to look in church history for that dead body that feels nothing. We're going to go on a little search. <laughs> Let's start with the Bible. Job, was he the godliest man of his time? The second greatest sufferer? Many things Jesus went through, he went through. He, Jeremiah, and Jesus were spat in their face. Many similarities. Job 6 verse 4, a man that was perfect and upright, that issued God, that issued evil, that, uh, that, that feared God and issued evil. We read that this godly man, he said, the poisons of God's arrows drink up my spirit. He felt like the terrors of God were set himself in array before him. He felt like God, like an army was before him. And inside, he didn't feel God's presence as a wonderful thing. He said, Bina, I could not even perceive God. I could not even feel God. But the only thing I could feel was like poison was draining up my spirit. Definitely not a dead body. Let's go to David, the man after God's own heart. And in many of the Psalms, where it wasn't Psalm 32 or Psalm 51, where it's talking of where David fell into sin. But in many of the Psalms, David felt overwhelmed. Therefore, in fact, Jesus quoted David on the cross Psalm 31 and Psalm 22, when he felt overwhelmed, even felt like God had left him. He says in Psalm 143 verse 4, Therefore is my spirit within me overwhelmed, uh, and my heart within me is desolate. It's like, I'm, I cannot face life, it's too much for me. And my heart, when I look to it, is like a desert, it's just dry. I don't know where to turn. And then he turns to God. <laughs> Elijah, the second greatest prophet of the Old Testament... 
He said in 1 Kings 19 verse 4, It is enough now, Lord, take away my life. You know what I love about that is when he wanted to die, God said, get back to work. (laughs) John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament dispensation. John the Baptist had boldness in the wilderness to say, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. But a little later he was in prison. And when his circumstances were discouraging, he had changed his tune. And he sent a messenger to say to Jesus, Are you the one or do we seek for another? And Jesus sent an answer, and I love this answer. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 4 to 6, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. Listen to these words. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who should not be offended at me. You know what Jesus was saying, yeah? He was saying, John, it's your life versus my life. Are you going to listen to your life, which says that I am I'm not Jesus Christ? That I'm not the Messiah because you're in prison? Or are you going to look at my life, which confirms again and again that I am who I said I would be because I fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament one by one? It's my life versus your life. Are you going to listen to your life, which says I don't love you, and I'm not Jesus, and I'm not God, and I'm not there? Or are you going to listen to my life, which says I am the Messiah, and I love you, and I'm there, and blessed? God understands when you feel down, by the way. But he doesn't allow us to be offended, to become bitter against God. Let's go a bit further in the Old Testament. Actually, we're getting to the New Testament now. That's great. Paul wrote much of the New Testament. He said in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed above measure... Above strength, it's as if I could not face it. It's above the strength that I have. In so much that we despair, that's a very strong word, even of life. Yeah, Paul said there were things that I did not have the strength to face. I was despairing of life. I fell down. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 6, For that when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Now listen to these words. I love these words. Without were fightings, within were fears. Now, I have heard denominations of over 100, 200, 300 churches say from the pulpit and across a country and countries that if you ever have fear as a Christian, that is not just fear for God. That's the only fear Christians are allowed to have. But if you ever feel any fear, then you're on your way to hell, potentially, if it's your entire life. But if it is a part of your life, then you are sinning. Interesting. Uh, they, they quote Revelation 21 verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving, etc., etc., will be thrown into the pool of fire. Nice verse. <laughs> Remember, though, you can take a verse and run away with it. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Let me ask you a few questions quickly before we go to the dead body in history, because we haven't found it yet in the Bible. Um, 
When Job was perfect and upright before God, did he only have fear of God or did he fear something else? Anybody of you remember what the scripture says? That which I greatly feared hath come upon me. He said, I longed, I had all these riches, and I longed to, 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 to kind of die in my nest. You know what that is? When you retire, you get all this money together, and a little house, and a little blah, blah, blah. Uh, you get, a, you get a, a, a pension nowadays, and all these things, and you look together. I'm going to die with my little wife, with my little cookies, and my little tea, and my little bed, and all these trees. I'm going to die in my nest. <laughs> That's what we all long for. He longed for that, but he also feared that he would lose everything. And God called him perfect. In the New Testament, Paul did not just fear God, but he said many times that he feared that his ministry would be lost. Like some people look at their children and they seem to be following God and they fear that their children would not carry on following God. Paul had that fear. And many people say, but you shouldn't fear. Just give it to God. He feared. He said he feared it often. Jesus Christ said, let not your heart be troubled. Okay, what did he say two chapters later? He was troubled in spirit. I'm not trying to find contradictions in Scripture. I'm just saying don't run away with one verse. (laughs) Please. Elizabeth and, of course, Mary were afraid of apparitions, uh, angels, not God. And God said straight afterwards, you're about to be blessed. You know what the Psalms say? When I am afraid, I am a great sinner. No, it says, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Not when I'm not afraid or never afraid, I'll trust in thee. But when I'm afraid, I can trust in God. The Psalms say that. Go read it. (laughs) Do you know, when it talks about in Revelation, and it says basically, but the fearful and unbelieving... Um, it's basically coupled together in a way because, because there is a fear that people are driven by fear and they have no faith in God and they become bitter against God. They are unbelieving and fearful and they blame God. But there's a fear that we naturally have at times for our children. For, we should not be driven by it. We should overcome it. But it comes at times and it does not mean that we are sinners. And at the same time, we cling to God's word. We cling to who God is. We cling to the person of God in spite of life, our feelings, and even some of our fears. And we have faith amidst our fears. When I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I love it. So let's carry on with our little search. Hopefully we'll find that dead body sometime. At any rate, let's go to history. Godly people from history. And I'm going to go, like we went through the Old Testament to the New Testament, I'm going to just look um, from the 1600s. Let's start with John Bunyan. How many of you have heard of John Bunyan? Okay, so he wrote what? The Pilgrim's Progress? The Holy War? <laughs> he didn't write Helen how to get there, but <laughs> it would have been a good book. Um, John Bunyan wrote the book that is the sixth most printed book in history. It's the second most printed Christian book of all time. And after the Bible, and that is the Pilgrim's Progress, Spurgeon used to preach out of the Bible, but he also used to get so many illustrations from John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Many souls have been saved, and life transformed, and victory given, and understanding of the walk with God has come through. An imperfect book, but one that God used, The Pilgrim's Progress. Surely this person would be, that God so used, would be that dead body that feels nothing. 
He left in 1628 to 1688. In 1960, for 12 years, he was in prison. A little bit in and out some of the time, but for 12 years, he was twice in prison. And when he went to prison, the first time, his wife had four, he had four children. He had a second wife, and the second wife was pregnant with another child, and one of his children was blind, and they had literally no money. And in prison... He was not a dead body as he longed for his little blind child. He said these words, I felt like the flesh was being ripped from my body as I longed to be there for my blind daughter. Definitely not the dead body. Let's carry on. John Wesley, 1703 to 1791. The kings and queens of England said that John Wesley was the reason why, with his lay preachers, there was no French Revolution where they killed all the nobility. Because him and his lay preachers, though they stoned them, preached for 50 years of revival where thousands were saved. And though he was not buried in Westminster Abbey among the kings, they honored him with a plaque. Though he was a poor preacher, and they put him among the kings because he was the reason the kings were not killed. God so used him. Surely John Wesley, 50 years of revival. Surely he would be the dead body, 1703 to 1791. John Wesley said there were many times when he felt very, very down. Especially because his wife persecuted him. I won't go into that much. She had mental problems. David Brainerd, 1718 to 1747. All of you have heard about him. George Whitfield, John Wesley, David Livingston. You can name 50 of the greatest guys from history that have impacted the lives of people across the world. They all looked at David Brainerd, many of them, and they said, it's because of him that I carried on seeking God when nothing was happening. It's because of him that I carried on seeking God for revival until eventually God came in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's because of David Brainerd. And of course, we all know that he had struggles. In fact, one old preacher in South Africa, he was a revivalist. God mightily used him. In his late 80s, he sat down and he said, Roy, he had a squeaky voice. He said, Roy, he said, I think he needed a wife. And that's the truth. Well, let's go a little bit further. We've gone from the 1600s to the early 1700s. Now, John Asbury, 1745 to 1860, the greatest of John Wesley's converts. He had people smash his entire home, and as they smashed it with stones, the whole house was left in ruins. He just felt divine love for the people that smashed his home. Wonderful guy. I mean, those lay preachers, they would stone them, throw them off cliffs. They would climb back up in their blood, go back to the towns, that had stoned them and preached to them again. No wonder there was revival. (laughs) But you know what he said? Though he went to America and had revival and thousands of people got saved. Thousands radically saved. Asbury said in his journal, as I was reading through it, there were so many times that I would bring a drunkard to the Lord who stayed saved for years afterwards. But, but, but after I'd brought that drunkard to the Lord, an hour later I would feel like a terrifying sinner. I would feel so down. And you know, the reason in his life was because he made Christianity such a high standard that even above the Scriptures, that even he could not reach it. And he felt like a failure that God used him. 
Now, what about, let's go a little bit further, 1788 to 1850, Adoniram Judson. He was the second, everybody knows about Adoniram Judson. He was the second missionary uh, that was sent out officially to foreign heathen lands. The first was George Lisley, uh, uh, 1789, who was, uh, 1779, sorry, who was an emancipated slave who went to Jamaica. I hear a lot of uh, people in America say, Adoniram Judson was the first one, but there was one before him. <laughs> to heathen lands. <clears throat> At any rate, Adoniram Judson, I'm going to summarize his story. Some of you will know his story, but he was sent out by one organization. He went to India, and in India they rejected him, and so he got on an old ship, and he went across to Burma, and on the way, his wife had a stillbirth. The baby came out and died. And when he came to Burma, him and his wife looked at each other. His wife was a bit more cheerful than him, but his wife and him looked at each other, and they said that it was the worst decision they ever made in their entire life that they went to as missionaries to another country. And after a while, they hadn't had souls saved for a few years, and they started getting letters. It was the second missionary organization. Again, I don't have time for all that, but they got a letter, and the letter said, you are a bad missionary. Where are the souls? That you promised us. <laughs> very, very, uh, that's generally Americans. They're extremely encouraging when you go on the mission field. <laughs> At any rate, a few souls got saved, and then he was chucked into prison. And when he was in prison, I mean, there's a lot of little details I'm going to leave out, but when he was in prison, he was translating the Bible into Burmese, the New Testament originally. And he was trying to get that done with his sickness and so on in prison, but his wife begged so she could bring food to the jailers to give to him. And while he was in prison, his wife had a little baby girl. And he wrote a poem. Now, are we looking for that dead body, aren't we? And he wrote a poem. And I remember reading this poem. I have children. You have children, many of you. He said, I long. I long to touch my daughter. I long to touch my daughter. I love to hold her. You know, eventually, after a while, he came out of prison. And when he was out of prison, things started to go better. Praise the Lord. His wife had quite a few babies. That's always encouraging to women, isn't it? Anyway, she had all these babies, and it was going better. And you think, God's changed. Now everything's going to go great. But no, those children died, every single one of them. And his wife died. And what they don't put in many of the books is that he for three weeks stood at the grave and the rotting body of his wife wondering, am I saved? Did God call me? And is God good? And then he went for a time, over a year, almost as a hermit, away from the work that he used to do, just asking himself, am I even a Christian? And then after this time of darkness, there came a letter. Now, I have no idea how letters came in those days to Burma, but this letter came to him, and he opened up the letter, and he read it, and then he saw that his brother, who he prayed for for years before that, had been radically saved. And you know, it wasn't one moment and suddenly he just had light again. 
But slowly, it was as if God had put a little light on his heart, and he started to believe in the goodness of God again. Do you know why Satan attacks God's goodness? Why there are books where millions and millions are sold. Like I said, there's chapters. Sometimes one chapter, sometimes the whole book. There's no attribute of God. God is sovereign. God is love. God is holy. That is so attacked by Satan as the goodness of God. I'll give you two reasons. There are more. One is that with, Satan knows that without the goodness of God, there's no foundation for the gospel. Because compared to God's goodness, that we deserve hell. And if God's bad compared to him, we're good, we don't need the gospel. The second thing is, it's only because of God's goodness that there's grace. It's not our goodness, it's free. But for Christians, Satan knows that if we do not believe in the integrity and goodness of God, if he can make us doubt that, then when we go through hard times, when we go through darkness, we will not struggle to have faith in him. Let's go to the second last person. We could go to the Anabaptists, we could go to Calvin, we could go to Luther, we could go to all these movements, we could find out that this is true. But let's go to the second last of the ones that I have chosen today. Charles Spurgeon. All of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Not a perfect man. But he lived from 1834 to 1892. And like I've said before to the young people, his sermons were printed and spread in their millions in the 1800s across America and other places. And more people have been radically saved and their lives changed and set free through the printed sermons of Charles Spurgeon than any other preacher's printed sermons since Paul and Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon had 600 people downstairs praying, and God would come as he preached. And you would think that this person was the dead body. He never felt down. Well, let me read to you from one of his own sermons. Just one sentence. Knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means. He wrote books on the joy of the Lord. <laughs> he rejoiced in the Lord through hard times. But when his wife was sick and eventually had to leave him, he had to leave the ministry for two years, but there was a time when she had to leave him uh, uh, for over a year that he couldn't be with her. And, and, and the attack of the whole church came upon him because he stood for truth. And especially when people died in a stampede in his church, he struggled and felt very, very down. Now the last person, Hudson Taylor. How many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor? How many of you heard of the Cambridge Seven? City start, da 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 da. Okay, the, you wouldn't probably know much as much about Hudson Taylor if it wasn't for them because they made him famous. But that's another part of history <laughs> connected to Deal Moody. Anyway, Hudson Taylor was in China. He he founded the China Inland Mission, and and he was very down at many times in his life. And what many people don't know. When you read books, they leave out the parts that will make you feel bad, you know? <laughs> Cherry picking. Hudson Taylor, this godly man. There were times when he considered committing suicide. And we know this from the Taylor Papers in history. And he said, the only reason I did not take my life was because of my wife. 
And then there's a story which you do hear from the pulpit often. There's a book called They Found the Secret. It's a very nice book. It's got all these guys, and when they found victory in Christ as Christians, and, 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 and basically you read John chapter 15. Isn't that wonderful? And when you read it, you realize, wow, he's the vine, I'm the branch. I don't need my circumstances. I don't need a million people to get saved. I don't need to have health. I don't need to have all these things to have life flowing through me. My life is not success or that the people that are underneath me never complain. All church elders understand this one. Um, my life is in Jesus that never changes. And it was wonderful. And I've heard many preachers stand up and say, that was where he found victory. That was where the life just flowed forevermore. And it's true. His life changed from that time. He never from then considered committing suicide. But what they don't tell you is that because of his physical condition and because he was very sick there in the middle of China in those days, he felt very down many times while he still trusted in who God was. They don't tell you that because that doesn't sound spiritual. And I'd like to say something today. I've sat with godly men across this world over the last... 20 years I've sat with of the godly of the godly. And I can tell you that many of them, many of them needed encouragement. And I don't have time today. We've got to the time when we're going to very soon um, have a baptism, which is wonderful. That's very encouraging, by the way. I don't have the time to explain why God allows suffering. I don't have the time to explain how God, the four main different ways and the subsets of that, of how God encourages us through life, how to recognize that voice and then rest in it. I don't have the time to preach on what God teaches us in and through suffering. And of course, the most important is who God is to us in suffering. As I said, we have a legalistic pastor here. I just love, the only reason I'm his, he's very good, and, and the only, but the only reason I'm his friend still is because he gives me coffee. <laughs> Somehow you encourage me, brother, one cup at a time. <laughs> at any rate, I'd just like to say to you one little thing. An old woman walked up to me once, and I, I just said the, the, the beginning of the sermon, the basic concept that you're not a sinner when you feel down. If you become bitter, you're sinning. But you're not a sinner just because you feel down. God's going to wipe away those tears. This old lady in her 80s walked up to me and she said, Roy, for 20 years, she was crying. She said, for 20 years, she was in a church of 300 people, wonderful pastor, lovely sermons. But she said, for 20 years, I've been feeling down at times when my family would rebel and when there was sickness and when people died. And when I felt down, I felt like a sinner. And all these old ladies, you know, old ladies are very interesting. All the old ladies around me that prayed so much, they told me, you must rejoice in the Lord always. If you ever feel down, you don't have amazing peace, there's something wrong with your heart. You must be crucified with Christ. And she said, for the first time in 20 years, I realized that I can bring it to Jesus without feeling like a sinner when I do. You know why you can pour out your heart before him? Because he cares for you. Imagine coming to God and pouring out your heart because He cares for you and all you're pouring out is the fact that you feel wonderful. That's not how it works. You pour out your heart before the one that loves you 
when you feel down. Brother, my time is up. And I'd like to pray and then give over to Brother Phil. Father, we know that Satan attacks in our hearts and lives the goodness of God. We look at our parents and we think, how can God be good giving me these parents? We look at our friends. We look at churches that split. We look at hard times that we go through. And other people go through and we suffer, dear Father, at times. And the devil comes and tells us we sinners because we feel down about it ever. We sinners because we have the littlest bit of fear. And we don't even feel worthy to hold on to your word because we're already failures just by fearing a little or feeling down a little. Father, help us to realize that the truth of God is that though we feel down and though we fear, we can still cling to the word of God, which changes our lives. We can pour out our hearts before God that he is good in spite of life. And that though I have a year or two of feeling terrifyingly down like Adonai and Judson, you might just be sending me a letter, a letter to remind me of that little glimmer of hope that God is good. And thank you that you took Adonai and Judson and got thousands of churches and thousands of converts after he had hope. <laughs> oh God, work in the hearts of people here that are broken and hurting and that will hurt one day. Don't let Satan get them to the point where they feel sinful to the point that they cannot be encouraged by a mighty God who loves them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for that message of encouragement. You know, uh, one of the biggest tactics of the devil is to try to convince us that we're the only person going through what we're going through. And I find that to be especially true in, in times of feeling discouraged and, and those kind of things, feeling down. Well, it's you're struggling with that. Nobody else does. Just cover it up. But I, I just, I loved the, the illustrations this morning. All these godly men throughout history and bringing out their, their human side and their trust in God through their humanity is a real encouragement to me. Thank you, brother, for sharing the word of God. So as I mentioned before, we're going to have our uh, baptism here, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to F Brother Phil, and he's going to share a little bit, and then uh, we'll all move outside and uh, witness the baptism, and we'll have a lunch together. So, Brother Phil. I am deeply thankful for my brother's faith, and just in case you think it's just a sermon, he got to live it out this morning, and now I know why, because I went to bed early this morning, and a few hours later, my wife is up here in the kitchen, and I was, remember her getting out of bed, and I was like, I'm going to sleep in this morning, I'm so tired, and I was rolling around in bed, and next thing it was outside my window, and I bailed out of bed, and I looked out the window, and there's Roy. Hello! I'm a legalist. I'm up there praying. I had a great pray with him this morning. <laughs> I said, I'll be right there. But see, he 
he's got this faith, this faith that allows preachers to oversleep. And I thought of the words of David in Psalm 27, and these words have encouraged me many times, and perhaps have you too. I would have despaired, Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He didn't see it. He wasn't seeing it. I would have despaired unless I had believed I'm going to see it in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. It wasn't encouraged yet, but take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The verse before that, he's complaining to the Lord. False witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. Hallelujah. As Brother Roy and I were praying this morning, we were sharing about some of these men, some who we got to know, some who discipled us, some who were way back in history that have also discipled us. And I shared with him, I said, you know what's so encouraging to me is that the Lord redeems us and there's, a, there's this, the inner spirit of us is so holy and passionate for Jesus Christ, it's redeemed. But then there's this human side of us that continues, the Lord continues to redeem, but it's there. We're real people. We eat. We cry. And this morning, I'm one of those just real men. And I'm excited. And yet this morning I was crying because two of my boys, two of our boys are going to be baptized today. Both of them had different experiences or experiencing Jesus in their own unique way. But just want to come and obey the Lord. And I'm reflecting back on my own baptism and I shared this with them because I don't want them to have to walk through what I did. And I was baptized at the age of 15 simply because I wanted to make my parents happy. My dad was a preacher and, and I remember coming up and... and and this may seem silly to you guys, but for me it was such a real thing coming in that Sunday morning and, and it, back in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the late 80s and mid 80s there was this, there was this style, especially, it may have been in the world, but it, in the Mennonite church that I was a part of there was this hairstyle that was the in way to comb your hair if you were cool and, and I wanted to be cool and I had received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that I knew. But, but this coolness spirit, I wanted to be cool, had kind of overshadowed it. And, and I remember going into the van and going with my parents to church. And, and I walk in the door and my dad walks up behind me and I had... Someone does, huh? 
And my dad walks up behind me and he gets his comb out of his pocket and he goes... <laughs> and he keeps right on walking. I was going to be baptized today. And I remember going... <clears throat> I didn't say a word, but it made me angry. And I went into the bathroom... And then I came up here and sat on the front row where the kids sit. You know, the young people are supposed to sit. And then I was baptized. And I remember kneeling down. We had a different way of baptizing. We, the preacher would come, make us kneel down on the floor, and he'd pour water over us. I remember kneeling down and being angry with my dad, thinking, I'm just doing this for you. Make you look good. But then I went on, and I got married, and I became a really good Mennonite brother. I thought, I even loved, the, you know, reading his word. But there came a day when the Holy Spirit filled my life and ripped, you know, stripped me of my pride and my arrogant spirit. And, and very quickly afterward, one of the first things the Holy Spirit said to me is, In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from your flesh, but an appeal to God. Or the King James says, it's an answer to God of a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's saying, God, you have redeemed me and I have a good conscience now towards you. My conscience is cleared. I'm free before you. And the Lord said, was that you that day? Did you have a good conscience towards me? Because baptism is the witness of that. I have a good conscience towards God. And I said, no, Lord, it wasn't. But you have to understand, by that time I had, I had been involved in youth conferences and, and I was a principal at large Bible schools and, and I was preaching God's word and I was, I was now you know, a married man in the church and I was leading out in, in worship. And You mean I have to go and be baptized again? What in the world are people going to say and think? And then I remembered something even worse. When the Holy Spirit came into my life and, and changed me and, and, and the Lord began to lead me out uh, into another church life and my dad was deeply grieved by that and he said to me, Oh yeah, next thing I know I'm going to hear you were rebaptized." And you'll say it was never a Christian and blah, blah, blah. Because that's what those people do. It's what they all say. And I looked at my dad in all sincerity. I said, that'll never happen to me, dad. I love Jesus. Jesus is leading me this way. You're wrong. Now what am I going to do? Oh, no, my daddy's going to hear of this. He's going to see, I told you so. And I wrestled with all this stuff. And I remember the Lord saying to me, through my wrestling, it took a few weeks, maybe even a few months, I don't remember. And I was preparing to share the word, and the Lord spoke so clearly into my heart and said, 
unless you obey me, I will never freely use you. I can't use you anymore to share my word. I will not be there when you share. I said, okay, Lord, I know it's true. I'm just going to do it and forget about everything else. And I remember going down to the river out here at the Big Thompson, and a few of the brothers put me down under the water. And, and I remember getting up, and I, it was like heaven opened up over my life. I really felt like in the spiritual realm the same thing happened to me that happened to Jesus. There was a dove that came down, and I heard my father's voice say, Well done, my beloved son. I am so well pleased in you. That's what baptism was for me. And I said, now prepare to baptize our sons. I shared this story with them. Please don't be baptized just because you think I want you to. And I was actually wrestling with this in my heart. You know, Lord, don't let this be their experience. And the Lord said, what if it is? What if at 26 years old, they also have that experience? Will you trust me with that? Are they mine or yours? God says, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, the soul of the Son. All souls are mine. And so today as I baptize our sons, I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm going to do it with full faith and conviction that they are God's. And he's a good dad. And just like he saved their souls he will continue to sanctify their souls through the obedience of the gospel. And in Romans chapter 6, many of us know this word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. That's what we were listening to this morning. We've been baptized into his death, but there's still the human part of us that continues to suffer. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. And I love that word. And I'll close with this in Second Corinthians. This has been my experience and this is how I... I'm encouraged and believe it will be for Michael and Lucas and Noah. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away that lies over their heart. Verse 15. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom of conscience, liberty. Freedom from the guilt of sin. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror ourselves. Is that what it says? No. I'm looking in the mirror 
but I don't see me. I'm beholding the glory of the Lord. Have you done that? If you haven't, the next part of this truth you are not experiencing. And I invite you this morning to experience it. Look, behold the face of the Lord. Look in the mirror. Behold his face. The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And baptism is a step of this, an obedient act of this. And so is the continuation of the rest of our lives. Yes, well, let's go baptize these precious souls. Um, we'll gather out around the tub here. And I shared with them this morning that um, I'm going to give them each an opportunity just to share a brief testimony of why they want to be baptized. I told Noah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, Noah. It can just be five words. Or Paul said, if I speak five words in the church, I'm better than the guy who speaks 10,000 words like Phil Lapp, and he's prompt except when he's preaching because then he's led by the Spirit. Um, he's rubbing off on me if you haven't noticed. But I would rather speak five words than 10,000 words and bore people to sleep, right? Five words than 10,000 without any spiritual meaning to anyone. So that's okay if you only have five words. God will use you and bless you. So they'll share their testimony. And then Brother Noah, um, Brother Kerry and I will immerse you into the water. And, and then uh, Brother uh, John Ash, or Grandpa, Dad, um, is going to uh, help me immerse Michael and Lucas into the water. All right, let's go out around the tub.